one, let's welcome the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections, the chapel in Richmond. Good morning, everybody. Hey, find two or three people next to you and tell them I love a sunny winter day. Come on, tell them that today. Well, we are in a brand new series that we are starting today, but I always love to look in the camera at the back of the room and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond and the chapel in Mosley, and uh, as well as the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail, Harp, and Virginia Department of Corrections. You're not a project to us, you're our people, and... Uh, Kind of like one one house that has different rooms and family members in different rooms. It's amazing to just look in a camera and know that there's life building in all parts of our community. So we love you, Chapel Mosley. We love you, Chapel Richmond. Love you in, uh, in the jail. It's a joy to be able to bring all of who we are into the into the correctional facilities and jails. So good morning. Uh, we love you. And um, I want to just uh, let you know that this is a really exciting uh, month. Uh, Tonight, we got a bunch of water baptisms, but uh, this week is First Wednesday. If you've never been a part of a First Wednesday, we, we meet the first Wednesday uh, of every month, and, um, and it's where we have communion, a little bit longer teaching and worship, and, and able to dig in. It's going to be an incredible uh, Wednesday night for that, and then this month, we're trying something we've never done before, and that's a marriage night towards the end of the month, and so we'll launch some. I, I just think, how many know you got to work on this thing? called marriage. And so, uh, so we want you to be a part of that. If you're married or you're engaged, uh, somebody said, what if you want to be engaged? I said, well, I don't know if the marriage night is the one to go to, but we do have a singles thing coming up. And so I'll help you with that. And, uh, but man, I'm so thankful of what God's doing. Thanks for your flexibility. Everybody in the lobby, thank you. And it's exciting to see all the uh, uh, siding going up and, and we make progress on that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your incredible generosity that's letting that project just surge forward. And you can see it with your own eyes, so it won't be too long before we'll have added space and flexibility. I was just looking at some of the outdoor plans in the new space with little tables for coffee. Come on, little spots to sit and chit chat. Come on, chit chat. And uh, I know we're sort of like cattle in and out. And so thank you for your flexibility and your patience in this season. Well, um, we, uh, when, I, when I'm thinking about preaching and leading us as a church in January, we always do a prayer focus and really spiritual work. And February, I really felt led to, um, to step out of the sort of more spiritual messages and re get really practical about our relational world. How many know Jesus said there are two great commandments? Everything falls into this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, relationship with God. But then he said, when you get that right, it's going to affect the way you love other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so how many know uh, you don't get very far in life without figuring out relationships? I mean, like if you can't figure out how to get along with people and how to make your marriage work and your family work, I mean, everything is limited by this. In fact, Peter, First Peter tells us that when husbands and wives have discord in their own marriage, it even hinders their prayers. And so you've probably known that. You've been driving to church and you're fighting on the way and it's harder to worship. Come on, anybody here? No, anybody in the lobby, they're lying in this room. Come on, so, like, I haven't fought in a few minutes, you know, and, uh, 
But, you know, uh, figuring out our relationships is so important. And I think it's especially important in the world we live in. How many know our world is super confused when it comes to love and marriage and sex and dating? And how many know it's chaos out there? Come on. And so as a church, we want to give the month of February really to look at God's plan. How many know the one who designed it ought to define it? I mean, the creator who made us ought to describe how it should work. And, and so, so, so we're going to look at um, um, a book of the Bible. It's kind of a strange book of the Bible. It's called the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. And it's really just a collection of, of a man and his wife writing love notes back and forth to each other. And uh, we have it contained in Scripture. In fact, even in church history, some people wondered, should this book be in the Bible? Because it doesn't say a lot about God. It's more about human relationships. And some people say, well, maybe it's not like that. But how many know uh, God does have something to say about relationships? And that's why Song of Solomon is there to show us a relationship and what it should look like. And, and let me just give us a little background as we get started today. The book's written in the mid-900s, and Solomon is king of Israel. And just so you know, he had some problems when it comes with relationships. He had several hundred wives. I just want you to know we're not that kind of church. Like, how many know in life, usually more is better? You know, uh, if you have one dollar, two is better. Come on, you have one donut, two is better. If you have one wife, two is wrong. You know what I mean? And so just turn to the person next to you and tell them we're not that kind of church. Come on, just tell them that. In the lobby, turn and tell them we're not that kind of church. In Richmond, online. And yet, in fact, that's what I love about Solomon towards the end of his life, writing some wisdom. And I want to say this, because I know whenever you do a relationship series, there are people here that you've gone through some disappointments and you have some, some things in your life that you wish weren't part of the past. And I want to tell you today, we gather here under the, under the banner of God's grace because Jesus died and on a third day rose again. There's forgiveness for our past, fresh starts for our future. How many are grateful for the forgiveness of God, right? So it's not about getting your relationships perfect and Solomon had all kinds of issues but it is about giving God an opportunity to speak into our lives so if you're if you're dating this series is going to be I think perfect for you if you're engaged and, and have no problems this service or this series is going to be helpful for you if you've been married a little while and you're arguing lately we're going to do a whole week on conflict this series will be good for you and then and then later on we'll talk about biblical sexuality we'll sort of look at what God has to say about love and marriage and the book begins I mean, Solomon and his lover, man, they start strong. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I mean, that seems kind of repetitive. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I mean, but this book just goes, goes straight for it. And she says, for your love is more delightful than wine. And pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. And your name is perf perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Your name meant your reputation or your character. And so what she's saying is when you're known and who you are is known, your character, your integrity is important. And the book really starts with, I mean, it starts with kissing and it gets even more than kissing later on in the book. And in three weeks, we'll deal with that. And, uh, but I, I just love that God's word speaks to where we really live. And let me give you a, just an overview of the characters in the book. Uh, Solomon is the lover who's writing, advanced in age, this book. It's sometimes called Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And it's because it's a collection of their, of their notes written one to another. I, I grew up before cell phones, come on, where when Katie and I were dating, we wrote each other notes. 
And then in the hall, in between classes, we gave them to each other, folded up in weird shapes. Anybody from that generation with me? Come on. Some, it's like text messaging, sort of. And so we just have a collection of all the notes they wrote back and forth. And in fact, some people call it the Song of Songs. It could be a love song where they describe their, their affection for one another. When Katie and I first got married, she took me to a musical and... Uh, she was enjoying it. I got to be honest, I don't understand musicals. It doesn't make sense to me that people could just be talking and then stand there and everybody sings. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't real. Like, why are they doing this? And we paid a lot of money and she's like, isn't it wonderful? And I was, I just pretended like, you know, first few years of marriage, you're like, yeah, it's great. I don't understand it. I don't want to go, you know, you know, I mean, like, uh, so Song of Songs uh, is, is a musical. They're just going to sing back and forth of their love for one another. And so you got Solomon, who's the lover. You got his, his wife, a Shulamite maiden, his beloved. And she's going to communicate. He's going to express his love. And she's going to express her love. And the, but there's actually a third group of people that talk in the book. They're called the friends. And the, in your Bible, the heading will actually say friends. And so the man will talk to the woman, the woman will talk to the man, and then the, the woman has some friends that are going to speak up, and they're going to chime in on her relationship. And you say, Pastor, why would that be? Because that's how it's always been. And that's how it's always going to be. In fact, some translation don't call them friends, they just call them others. You know, and I sort of picture in my mind, it's probably made up, but Solomon is like others. And she's like, no, they're friends. And he's like, no, they're others. And she's like, no, they're friends. And you know how that goes, you know. And uh, In fact, let me just say, I think there's maybe a principle in this that whenever you're dating, you're a young person dating or engaged, you're, you should allow people that love you and care for you to speak into that relationship. And, and they're going to do that. They're going to be like, mm-hmm. He's great. She's great. Woohoo! They're going to chime in. In fact, let me just say this. If you're dating someone who wants to isolate you from your family and your friends and pull you away and they don't care what other people have to say, you're probably in the wrong situation. And let me just also say this. If your mama don't like him and your dad doesn't like him and your grandma doesn't like him and your aunt who likes everyone, she doesn't like him, but you see something so amazing in him. I'm just telling you, you need to listen to the daughters of Jerusalem. Because it's time to kick them to the curb. Come on, somebody. It's good preaching today, ain't it? And, and, uh, in fact, Proverbs tells us that in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And I, I just think that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing the expression of love between a husband and wife and a community around. And, and she begins by talking about his reputation. She says, your name is like fine perfume. Have you ever had a friend that wore a lot of cologne or perfume? She says, your, your reputation is so much like that, that whenever people think of you, and so I want to give you this thought, because I think it's really how the book begins, that relationships have got to start on more than just the outside. They've got to start on the inside, not just the outside of looks, but the inside of character and integrity, right? In fact, she says, when I think of your name in the ancient world, that meant your reputation. It's like perfume. In fact, when other people, when the maidens talk about you around town, it's that you're a man of integrity. It's that you do what you say you would do. It's that you're known in the city gate as having a reputable character. And I think there's something to uh, someone's reputation. 
In fact, I remember as a kid, I don't know if you know this, but throughout the history of most of humanity, marriages were arranged by parents. So when you're a teenager, you don't like this idea, but then you get to be an adult and start having kids, and you're like, that sounds awesome. Like, how many know, like back in the day, like I pick who my kid marries? That's right. So if you had a daughter, you know, you'd, you'd figure out who the guy is. You'd barter with the, the, your neighbor or somebody in the community. you figure out who, somebody of good character. they give you a few sheep and some goats. Come on, and they get married, you know. And uh, I, I used to think that was crazy. The older my kids get, I think, man, that sounds amazing, you know. And I'm not saying that we have to uh, go back to those days, but I am saying there's something in looking at the wisdom of history and in the wisdom of history, the community of faith and those that loved and shaped and formed you spoke into your life and into the character of the person you are living. I'm just telling you, I think we live in a superficial society. I'm telling you, I think we live in a superficial society. I mean, Ulta and Zephora, I don't even know if I'm saying them right, and the other day, I was trying to connect with my 14-year-old, and I said to her, your makeup looks nice today. And she's like, you're saying that because you know it doesn't. It's a bad eyelash day. <laughs> I didn't even know you could have a... I was like, bad eyelash day? How is that a thing? <laughs> like, you have eyelashes. Who cares, you know? She's like, you don't think they look gunky today? I was like, baby, the last time I thought of your eyelashes were never, you know? And I'm just telling you, we live in a world that focuses on the outside. And I'm just telling you, we need to get back to godly character. She says, when I think of who you are, you're a man who's respected in the city gates and your reputation, the maidens love you. People talk about you and they're focused not just on the outside, but on the inside. Let me just say this to every young person that's dating. I mean, there's something about attraction. In fact, in three weeks, we're going to look at, at, uh, in in a couple weeks, it gets to the, uh, in a couple weeks, it gets to chapter four of Song of Solomon. And that's where it gets you know, like, whole deal. I mean, it is, uh, you know, historians tell us that Jewish young men were not allowed to read the book of Song of Solomon until they turned 14 or 15. You can see that in chapter four and five. It gets for real. And, uh, but how many know God has something to say about sexuality, you know? And in fact, somebody asked me the other day, they said, Pastor, if we're going to go through Song of Solomon, do you think that's wise? Because in our church, the fifth graders and under are in kids' church. But once you turn, you know, sixth grade, 12, 13, 14, they're in the big room with us. And I was really praying through this subject of like, should we talk one week about biblical sexuality with kids ages 13, 14, 15 in the room? And I just, I got to tell you, maybe 20 years ago, the world was different. But how many know the culture is speaking to teens and preteens about sexuality? And the question is not whether or not our kids are being communicated with regarding sexuality. The question is, who's doing the communication? And so I just want to say as a church, I don't think we could live in la-la land quietly avoiding the issues of biblical sexuality because if we do, then the, then the other side of a worldview is going to communicate to our kids. I think, so I'm going to do it as I'm going to be mostly appropriate in this series, like 95%. Uh, but how many just think the next generation needs to hear about biblical sexuality? In fact, I heard one pastor say there are two extremes when it comes to sexuality. Sex is God or sex is gross. And they said sex is God is the cultural view, which is that everything is sexual. In fact, you've noticed people identify themselves primarily by their sexuality, an entirely unbiblical thing to do. 
Uh, but he uh, literally, so there's the sex is God part of the culture, but then there's also a, 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 maybe an overreaction in the church, which is to not talk about sex, almost like a sex is gross thing. And so what happens is the only people communicating are the culture around us. But I just want you to know, God made us, God made our bodies, God gave us uh, sexuality to connect us in marriage and kind of be a glue that adheses, uh, dr- dr- connects us to a spouse and creates emotional and, and spiritual connection between one with another. And so the God God who designed it is the God who can define it. And we as a church need to be willing to speak out on it. So that's what we're going to do in this series. So it's about character, though. She starts with character. Before she gets to the outside and talks about, and talks about how, how fine he is, and before he gets to compliment her, they, 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 they talk about character, right? And how many know character is important? How many know if you just marry someone on the basis of looks, how many know things change? I don't want to get into it for too long, but things change. Come on, somebody say gravity. Come on, you know. <laughs> Not everybody can, I mean, like Katie, Mary, you know, some, some women like my wife get this, you know what I mean? But not everybody does, you know, not everybody's that fortunate. And, and there's bifocals and bunions and it just, it goes, it goes down. The rest of your life goes down forever. But let me tell you, the Bible says to have an inward character, a beauty that does not fade, a quiet and sincere spirit, character on the inside. And I think we need to start reminding ourselves that it's not just the outside, but it's the inside. God said uh, when they were picking the king of Israel, remember 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look at the outward appearance for man looks at the outward appearance. But how many know God's looking at the heart, right? And so there has to be godly character. Here's the second thing I see in their marriage and we need it in ours. Come on, somebody. Even before it gets physical, come on, talk to me. It's what? It's emotional. There needs to be a connection emotionally. In fact, I was noticing this. They just speak all syrupy to each other. Solomon says to her, he keeps saying this word, I liken you, my darling, my darling, my darling. Isn't that sweet? In fact, I'll let you in on a little secret. Every time we do a sermon series in church, I study for that sermon series a month or two ahead of time. So I was studying for Song of Solomon during December, and I kept noticing that actually, if you read through the book of Song of Solomon, nine times Solomon calls her my darling. And so I didn't tell Katie. She figured it out this morning. I just been for six weeks calling her my darling, my darling. And I, I, th- I thought it was sweet, you know, and I thought if I did what, what Solomon does in chapter one, maybe I'd get what Solomon gets in chapter four, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, my darling, my darling, my darling, come on. It's the 1115 service. I'm really feeling unhindered today. And uh, my darling. In fact, it's interesting, his language. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Hey, baby, you, you look exactly like this horse I used to ride. <laughs> See, interesting, in the ancient world, horses were seen as majestic animals. I think they still are today. You think of a horse and you think of something regal and 
In fact, in fact, Egypt had, in the ancient world, known for having the best horses. And, of course, Pharaoh, the leader in Egypt, would he'd have the best horses of the best horses. And so this is like a flirty compliment line. Hey, baby, you look like that finest horse. I would avoid not exactly interpreting, like, don't use all of this. Uh, but I want you to see the, the, the words of affirmation. The words of, and I think sometimes we need to, I'm, I'm preaching to myself because I can tend to be pretty like just efficient at home and let's do this. And I'm just telling you, I think sometimes we need a revival of sweet speech in our marriages again, right? In fact, somebody said, well, I'm not sure he deserves it. Well, if you don't like what you're seeing, maybe you ought to look at what you're saying, right? Like, what if I spoke some words of life over my wife? What if I just spoke some words of life over my, my children? What if I spoke some words of life over our city? What if I learned to, to use my lips as a way to praise and build connection with others? Solomon does this in such a different way, in such a way he connects so deeply with her. He says, my darling, my darling. And finally, she says, well, even when you're not around, I want you to know this, my beloved, you're like a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. We're going to see this in a couple weeks. They keep complimenting one another. He not only calls her a, a nice horse, he, he tells her later, I like that you have a pair of teeth, meaning each tooth has its twin. So he's like, you've got all your teeth I appreciate that about you. He talks about how her neck is like a tower. You know, I don't think that works to say that, but here's the point. There's a love, there's a connection, there's an affirmation, there's a sweetness. In fact, during this series alone, married couples can kiss in the church lobby every Sunday. We're allowing it for an appropriate amount of time, right? And here's all I'm saying. We get, I think we get busy in the, in the craziness of life. I've had people all day say to me, man, in the craziness of life, I stopped doing some things I did when I was dating and, and, I, and I maybe need to get back to a little bit of my darling, sweetheart or, or something. I took, I took pet names in the 8 a.m. service and it went horrible because I thought they were just terrible. So I won't do it again, but, but I'm just saying there's something about emotional connection. How many know there's something about emotional connection? In fact, not only is there such emotional connection that, that the beloved, the Shulamite woman, feels free to express her insecurity. She says to Solomon, dark am I yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. I'm dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Let me explain what this meant. If you had burned skin in the ancient world, if your skin was burned, it meant that you weren't wealthy. It meant that you worked in the field. And so what she's writing to Solomon is she's saying, you know that I'm from the middle class or the working class. I didn't come from you know, prestige like you. I didn't come from influence like you. I'm just a normal working person and I feel insecure about that. Not only do our, do our relationships need godly character and emotional connection, I think we have to be willing, come on somebody, to have genuine honesty even about our insecurities, right? How I many know that's a sign of a real relationship, how honest you can be with one another? Can we just be real? All of us have insecurities. Come on, raise your hand if you have some insecurities and just shout it out. No, don't. I'm just kidding. Right? Like, no, I don't like, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. And what she does is she shares them with him. And, and in that moment, he's going to speak life over her. 
Katie and I, I was 15. She was 16 when we started dating. We were from upstate New York. And I'd liked her for a couple weeks and told my friends that I liked her. And they told me that if I did not ask her out on a date, they gave me one day as an ultimatum. They're like, you've been telling us you like her. If you don't ask her out by the end of today, we're going to ask her out for you. And so I was like, that, that is, would be bad. So um, a friend of mine named Mike, he was dating a girl named Doreen. Doreen was Katie's friend. Mike was my friend. We had this idea after, uh, after a basketball game on Friday, we'd watch a movie together. And so my friend said, this is the day you got to ask her out. So I went up to her at the end of the day and said, hey, on Friday night after the basketball game, do you want to go to a movie with Mike? And, and then I blanked on Doreen's name, couldn't remember. And she's like, Doreen. I was like, yeah, Doreen. She's like, sure. I said, great. And I walked away. And uh, it was after a game and we went to my friend's house, Mike's house, and Mike was there and Doreen was there and Katie was there and here I am real nervous. In fact, I was the most awkward, shy kid in the world um, and I didn't know what to do and uh, my, my friend Mike's mom, Terry, was there. She's very like emotional lady too. It was just, you'll, you'll know why that's important in a second. And so the, the, the bathroom was maybe 20 feet away from this little kitchen that we were sitting talking. My friend, it was after a basketball game, my friend Mike showers. He comes out, he says, hey, you can take a shower if you want before, you know, we'd just come from basketball game. So I go in, long story short, I'm getting out of the shower about 20 feet from where everybody is. And I, I grew up in a stall shower, not a tub shower. And I tried to step over the tub and my heel hit one slick of water and I just started to slip. And I, my brain told me, grab the shower curtain, it'll hold you. <laughs> And it didn't. And so I'm falling in the bathroom. Not only that, I pulled the shower curtain out of the wall. I can see the screws come loose. And my friend's mom, Terry, who's very emotional, is banging on the wall. Oh, my gosh, what's happening? And I'm like, I fell. And she's like, it's more than that. What's happening? And I'm like, it's just it's the curtain and, the, you know, just. And uh, so I stand up. I don't, have a sh I don't have a towel. I realize I don't have a towel now. So I'm yelling through the door to my friend, Mike, can you give me a, a towel? He'll tell you this. He's a pastor right now in Syracuse. He'll tell you all true story. And uh, he says, well, I'll slip the towel through to you. And I can't figure out how to unlock the door. So I'm literally telling him I can't unlock the door. I'm locked in here. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really anxious human and I'm overventilating. And I'm just, so he gets a screwdriver, pops the lock, hands the Long story short, I finally get out and it's fine, you know, the wall and things. But I'm sitting there at the table and fidgeting with this wicker placemat that my uh, friend's mom had and I just literally rip it. I'm so anxious. And so I'll spare you all the details. I'm leaning over trying to cover it. Bottom line is I, it's a horrible first date, worst of all time. It, not smoothest person ever. Didn't say two words to her. So at the end of the night, I asked my friend Mike to call Katie and see what she thought of our first date. And so he called her and she told him, I don't think I like him. He's kind of weird. And I don't really understand the whole bathroom thing. And then the, so he, he, uh, I was waiting on, I called him and it was call waiting. We clicked over and he said, he didn't want to lie to me because you know, he's a good Christian kid, but he also didn't want to tell me the truth. So he just said these words that forever changed my life. You're golden. And uh, those are the words forever. You're golden. And I took that as she likes me. And I thought if she liked that, I can definitely do better, you know? And uh, so long story short, her parents like me. Uh, she she kind of has a gift of mercy. I kind of have a gift of leadership. So I just started showing up at her house and her parents like me. I knew she didn't really like me, but I thought her parents did. And eventually kind of I wore her down and come on somebody, 29 years later, come on, how many know things worked out? 
Something amazing, just catch this though, started to happen when Katie and I started to date. This shy, awkward kid had a girl in his life that spoke encouragement over him and something in me started to be less awkward so that I'm only 20% awkward today, you know? And I started to lead and she started saying, no, you could do that. No, I see that in you. And all of a sudden, here's what I'm telling you. Because of my relationship to her, it gave me more confidence in myself. That's what a biblical relationship does. If you have somebody in your life whose their specialty is knocking you down, you might need to think twice about that. How many know we need people who lift us up? And what's interesting is the Shulamite woman in chapter one is insecure. I'm dark. I'm, I'm, I don't have wealth. I don't come from a place of privilege. So she's insecure in chapter one. And then he whispers some, some horse encouragement over her. And here's what happens to her. By the time she gets to chapter two, she She's like, I'm a rose of Sharon. I'm the lily of the valley. Meaning, meaning she's like got some, come on. She got a little. Mm. Because here's what's happening. There's a person in her life who's speaking blessing over her and encouragement and life rather than words of destruction. They're seeing the God-given image of God potential in her life and Solomon's calling that out in her and it's creating something better. And I think that's what biblical relationships do. They build each other up rather than tear each other down. And I don't know about you, but I think we need a little bit more of that in the world we live in, right? And that's what's amazing. She goes from chapter one, insecure, to chapter two, she's like, in the valley, I'm, I'm a special lily, you know. I'm, I'm a rose of Sharon in a, in a plain that was known as a beauty. Like, I, I'm something special. She, she doesn't start that way in chapter one, but by chapter two, she gets there because God's brought somebody in her life who's speaking life over her, and that elevates her. One of the tests, look, look at me, young people, if you're in a dating relationship, ask yourself, is the person I'm dating trying to lift me up or are they always just trying to lift themselves up? And men, look at me. Biblical manhood is to lay down our lives for our wives. Strength is not domination. Strength is servanthood and, and blessing and, and, and care. Come on, and, and that needs to be a part of our lives. And, 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 I'm, and, and I speak that over all of us today. All right, let me give you two takeaways before we're done. Turn to the person next to you and tell him, wake up, he's almost done. Come on in the lobby, tell him, wake up, he's almost done. Let me give you two, two takeaways that I, think, uh, that I think we need in our life. And here, in our relationships, we need this. Number one, come on, we need value them. Come on, say that with me, value. That means, uh, that means recognize value. I just wanna say this. This is why the whole month of February in Song of Solomon, I think there is right now in our culture an attack on the nuclear family. I think there is an attack on marriage. I think there is an attack on sexuality. And here's what it is. Our culture is telling us to take things that are sacred and to make them common. And our culture is speaking particularly to young people and telling them that sexuality isn't connected to your soul. It isn't connected. It's just a physical outlet. And so you can define whatever you want to do just as long as it makes you happy, act in that way. And I'm just telling you today, the Bible says literally that, um, that God has given us these, these passions, 
these sexual desires. And when they're expressed in the limitations of marriage, they bring joy and bonding and connection. But when they're treated as cheap and, and, and flippant and casual, I'm telling you, there's a generation of young people whose hearts are breaking over following that message. That message, I hear you, it's very co- co- uh, common in the world today. But here's what the world's doing. They're taking something sacred and they're making it common and they're saying, doing whatever you want. And I'm just telling you, don't do whatever you want. It'll hurt. Listen, fire in a fireplace is great. When you put it on your couch in the living room, it doesn't go so good. You hear what I'm saying? It's not that God's against sexuality. It's that done in the appropriate boundaries, it brings meaning and joy and and blessing. But done in the worst place, it burns down the whole house and leaves broken lights all over. And I'm just telling you as a church, I understand it's not the most popular thing in the world to do. And maybe a couple people send us an email and Pastor Joel loves to get those. But I want to say this today. We as a church have to, we cannot allow the culture to call sacred things common. We have to say God is the creator of life and marriage and sexuality. He has a plan and a purpose for it. And I'm telling you, the culture is saying this sacred thing is common. And we're trying to remind us today, this sacred thing is sacred. Do you know marriage was created before the law, before salvation, before sin? Genesis chapter one, God just looks at Adam and he's like, it's not, that guy doesn't look good alone. So I'll make a helper suitable. And when he presents Eve to Adam, Adam exclaims at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That's Adam taking one look at Eve and saying, yes, God did good. And I'm telling you, the whole culture is trying to destroy this idea. In fact, I don't know, just think of this and I'm on a rabbit trail and I'm almost done because I know I'm about and this has nothing to do with the message. It just is something that annoyed me the other day. I realized that in all the Disney movies, there's a common theme. The parents die and the little kid has enough wisdom to do it all on their own. And so they didn't really need him ever. And I'm telling you, that is what the culture is saying. They want to destroy everything that has a sense of history and value and stability to it. You ever watch every show, the dad's an idiot, come on, the mom's annoying. Isn't that true? And the kid's the hero. I'm just telling you, uh, I still believe there's just wisdom in putting ourselves under the authority of a mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and being connected to the generations. I still think there's wisdom in saying in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And I think there's wisdom in saying, no, no, if I do things my own way, on my own terms, I might get the solution I don't want. I'm telling you, there's something in our culture. They're switching the price tags and they're saying things that are valuable are cheap and things that are cheap are valuable. And as a church, we have to rescue biblical sexuality, marriage, culture, the calling of moms and dads, sons and daughters, grandmas and grandpas, to all that God has for us or there's not going to be much left in our community. I'm telling you, we need to do that today and I'll let that go. So value them and then I'm done with this. Here's the last thing. It's we need to be people that speak life to one another and I'm speaking to me, not just you. I'm the guy who comes home and asks my kids the first three questions. How's your homework done? When are you going to... And I, I just want to make sure that we're living in a community and a church, I just, you know what I notice in the book of Song of Solomon? They're always whispering sweet things to one another. Baby, your neck looks like the Tower of Engedi. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about you. Oh, yeah. 
I'm, I'm just preaching to me for a second. If you will need to hear it too. I think we get a little like. I was thinking, I asked my son the other day. I said, hey, I tell you I love you all the time. You don't always say it back. And he's like, well, I want you to know I always love you. So now that you know that. And I said to him, no, 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 that's not how it works. I'm going to hug you. And I'm going to, and I said, listen, this is how I was raised. My dad was a construction guy, but he was like super affectionate. He's like, yeah, but sometimes when my friends are over you. And I'm like, you know what? That's how we do it around here. We hug in my undershirt with all your friends over. Come on, that's how we're doing it right now. Come on, let's be a culture that speaks life and hope. All right, I'm, I'm done. Would you bow with me all over this room and in Richmond? In just a second, I'm going to turn it over to the campuses. And Man, I'm aware on a day like today, um, it's been a really practical message, but ultimately human love pales in comparison to the love of God, which was shown in this world when God saw the brokenness of our sin. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever places their trust in Jesus can have eternal life. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I'd love to pray for you. I won't single you out. I won't embarrass you. It's just an act of faith where you turn away from your sin and yourself and trust in Jesus as the one who died to forgive you and to give you hope. And you make him the Lord and the treasure of your life. Nobody's looking around. I won't drag it out. I'm not trying to be preacher emotional. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure my heart's right with God. Would you pray for me? Just raise your hand up and put it right back down. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Others? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain of where I'm at in my own relationship with God today in the lobby in Richmond. Yes, yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Proud of you. One last time and then I'm going to pray. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. I see you in the back. Yep. Yep. I see that right there. I'm going to pray in just a second. And if you, if that's your heart, you know, a miracle can happen in this moment that you can go from trusting in yourself to trusting in Jesus as Savior. And you, you just have to pray a prayer and really place your faith in Christ. But in your own heart, in your own way, I'm going to kind of show you what that would sound like. I'm going to pray it, and you in your heart, if you mean it, you say that to the Lord yourself. You say something like this, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've come up short of your perfect standard. And I know there's nothing I could do to get back to you. So thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you for him dying on the cross and rising from the dead to take away my sin and my shame. So this morning, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. Would you save me? Would you rescue me? I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. I place my faith fully in Jesus. Make him my Lord, the treasure of my life. I'm asking you to give me a new heart, a new start, new beginning. So God, come into my life and change me, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. I'm going to turn the services over to Richmond, mostly.